Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. I'm super excited today because on the show, we have Dr. Julie Slattery, author of Rethinking Sexuality, founder of sexualdiscipleship.com. Julie, you've had decades of experience on your own personal journey and in helping others. What do people need to know about Julie Slattery? Yeah, I think you just called me old, which I am. I've been around, <laughs> I've been around for several decades now, but that's not bad. Uh, what do you need to know about me? Um, Let's see, I'm a clinical psychologist by training, and so always had a heart for marriage and family issues and women's issues, uh, but it hasn't been until like the last 10 years that I have been called specifically to the topic of sexuality. So I've spent the last decade um, running this ministry called Authentic Intimacy. I'm studying biblical sexuality, creating resources, uh, speaking on the topic, learning a lot myself. So I grew up just like a lot of Christian uh, men and women did with, um, with some good teaching on some things and loving parents, but on sexuality, not a whole lot of help. And so probably navigated the issue similar to, again, a lot of your audience um, with confusing messages about purity culture and sex is good, but then it wasn't so good in marriage. And what do I do with that? And so, uh, so I have both a personal passion for this as well as just a ministry calling. And tons of awesome resources, especially the Java with Julie podcast. Yeah. Um, you've addressed so many topics in there. I feel like almost any sexual topic has an episode. Yeah. You know, I probably about four or five years ago, I thought, you know, we've done this podcast. We've been doing it for eight years. I'm like, I think we're done. I think we've covered everything. And then it was like, nope, we're not. <laughs> and I keep, I keep finding new things that I'm curious about and I want to learn about and I want to share with my audience. So I feel like I don't know if we'll ever be done. <laughs> so it really is the way that I learned, Drew. Like anybody I want to learn from, I'm just like, hey, come on the podcast. And I have an excuse to ask you questions. <laughs> That is what I do too. <laughs> As I know, isn't the greatest. It's like continuing yeah. education. <laughs> yeah. And that's what we're doing right now. That's right. <laughs> Julie, in your book, Rethinking Sexuality, you paint a much better vision for sexuality than what I grew up with and what most people call purity culture. How would you describe purity culture? Whew, uh, you know, purity culture is um, pretty much... Um, a teaching that based a whole theology of sexuality on the promise that if you stay sexually pure, God is going to reward you and marriage will be great. You will get married. Sex will be great. It's worth the wait. And so it takes um, some pieces of truth in the scripture and presents that kind of as the whole picture without fleshing out what's around that truth and bringing some nuance that is really needed to topics of sexuality. So uh, there's lots of books and podcasts and blogs that are talking about the impact of purity culture. Uh, specifically, there's a lot of stories about how women have been harmed, but I know that it's been equally confusing and damaging for men. Yeah, I agree. I actually think it is one of the number one reasons why men 
end up stuck in pornography. Wow. And other unwanted sexual behaviors. Yeah. Tell me about that. Why do you think that's true? Because it's ultimately this attitude of toxic shame and repression. Mm-hmm. My sexuality is a bad thing. It's nasty. It's gross. I shouldn't talk about it unless I'm married and then anything is okay. Yeah. Um, which is also unhealthy. But then it's right. repression. It's it's avoiding my sexuality. It's shutting it down or maybe attacking it, trying to overpower my sexuality, sometimes in kind of a, a militant way of you know, be a warrior, overcome your sin. And it, it just makes me ultimately feel worse about myself and having this love-hate relationship with my sexuality. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. We don't often talk about that side of it. And sometimes that comes out. But again, I think a lot of the conversation has been around how it's hurt women. So I think we need to talk more about the impact on men. Yeah. And we also need to give men and women something better. And one of the things I've really appreciated is how you have done that and coined this term of sexual discipleship, something that is much more empowering, something that's much more positive and and can help us replace purity culture with something better. What is sexual discipleship? Well, sexual discipleship is what we might contrast with sex education. Yeah, everybody is very comfortable with the term sex education, but as soon as you say sexual discipleship, they're like, whoa, what is that? That sounds odd. And Drew, I know you have a heart for this as well, and you've talked about it on this podcast, but sexual discipleship is teaching people how to think about their sexuality, not what to think about their sexuality. Uh, It's really this idea that we're all on a journey of maturity and maturity means like, it means being integrated people. It means not having compartments of life that are not submitted to um, God's rule and that aren't submitted to his healing and to his forgiveness. And I think for a lot of Christians, sexuality is that compartment that they just kind of lock away and say, well, you know, the rules don't apply to this God's forgiveness and Uh, his redemption in my life can't apply here. So discipleship, sexual discipleship is really reintegrating sexuality into what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So Drew, when you talk, we talk about this integration and this compartmentalization, you know, something right now that I'm writing a book about. And I had a young couple read what I was writing and the guy had been through a pretty severe sexual addiction early in life, grew up in the church. And I just want to read something that he wrote because I think he puts into words uh, just what this is like. So um, he said, as I read about sexual integrity, I wondered why, and this was something in the book. I said, he, he wondered, God, why didn't I invite you into our bedroom? Why did I leave you at the threshold of our bedroom door and not want to talk to you about our sex life? I knew we were broken from the very first night of our marriage, but didn't want to involve you in this area of my marriage. Why not? And he said, integrity means whole, no compartments, complete integration. But it was the deep shame, denial, and feelings of unworthiness and my desire to compartmentalize my my sin. Uh, And then he just goes on to describe that. He says, I even use scripture as a way to feel my denial and convince myself that I was fine. God forgave it, redeemed it. And I would never need to revisit uh, some of those painful experiences. I used verses like forgetting what lies behind and pressing on 
uh, and as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sin from us. Uh, and he, he said, I use these verses to try to compartmentalize and not realize that God wanted to be part of this in my life. And he said, but then it haunted me. I hadn't told anyone and the shame became unbearable. Uh, I thought if I could perform in the bedroom, pray and seek the Lord, my wife would never know what happened. And maybe just maybe God would let it go. So I'd never have to address it. But the shame and conviction became heavier every day, especially when my wife wanted to be sexually intimate. Here was my beautiful bride desiring to be one with me sexually. And there I am with this lie, denying its power over me, yet completely controlled by it and afraid to open my mouth for fear of its consequences. So I just think that puts into words, uh, you know, a real life marriage where we can even use God's word to say, I don't need to deal with sin. I don't need to confess it. I don't need to call it what it is and seek help. And on the other hand, instead, I have this empowering choice of inviting God in to the most vulnerable places of my life. Yeah. And when you do that, you know, he, he moves, he works. And I know that's part of your story, Drew. It's, you know, God doesn't ask to be invited into these areas of our lives so he can condemn us. He wants to bring life. He wants to bring healing. He wants to bring redemption. And the enemy wants to use any reason to keep that from happening reintegrating our sexuality into our discipleship as followers of Jesus. What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think, you know, it's just pushing on paradigms that people have. So most of us don't realize the extent to which we've compartmentalized our sexuality, right? We don't realize it until we get asked a question like, do you and your wife ever pray about sex together? Have you ever prayed during sex uh, or after? And most people are like, no, why would we do that? And, and I think even, you know, our, our, our recoiling from that shows we've separated God and sex to the place where we don't, we feel like maybe he's ashamed of this area of our life. He's not invited in. We're ashamed. Uh, or do you care or even know what the scriptures teach about healthy sexuality and sexual maturity? Or do you just have a list of rules memorized? And again, people are like, no, I just, I know the rules, but I don't know how to apply them or what it means to me. And so I think it begins by becoming more aware of how sexuality really is not integrated into our, our, our life with God uh, or even healing. Uh, you know, I'll meet people, and this is true of men as well as women who've had sexual trauma or wounds. And they go decades without considering that God wants to heal those wounds. Uh, it's not just something in the past that you forget about, but it's something that requires prayer and effort and determination to say, God, if you are the healer, help me in this brokenness. Um, and so I think there's all these ways that we can start to realize, man, yeah, like even in our Christian marriage, we really have not invited God into this area of our lives. I, and then it kind of goes from there, but that's really a big first step. I hear you saying that our sexuality and our spirituality have been separated. Yeah. And what we need to do is bring them back together. Yeah. And I would say that they're never separated because they can't be separated. But, uh, but because we haven't integrated God into there, the enemy has a stronghold. 
So our sexuality is still very spiritual. Like why, when you look at porn, uh, does it have such a strong hold on you? Why is there so much shame? It's because the enemy's camped out in that territory that God hasn't been invited into. And so you can never separate sexuality and spirituality, but you can uninvite God into those places of your heart. Yeah, I remember one of my favorite quotes from you is that sexuality is not an enemy to be conquered, but a territory to be reclaimed. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that's very strongly uh, that, you know, wherever we don't invite the presence and the truth and the power of God, that really leaves us open to, uh, to lies again, to strongholds. And so, uh, and so it's a big part of recognizing that God not only wants to be, but his desire is to be in every area of our life. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, without exception. Yeah. How can we love God and love our sexuality, even if we're not engaging in sex? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's a good question. We are sexual people, whether we're having sex or not. And so our sexuality is more than what we do with our bodies. Uh, A good example of this is everyone has a way they think about sexuality. Uh, I call this sexual narrative. Everybody has this narrative that helps them make sense of their sexuality. And uh, and there are a couple prominent narratives. One of them is the current culture's narrative, which is that your sexuality is a key part of your identity. Um, For you to be healthy and mature, you have to experiment. You have to find out who you are and have the freedom to express whatever that is. And that narrative drives a lot of people. It's driving a lot of what we see in the LGBT community, but it's also driving pornography. Like I should be able to have whatever I want. It drives lust and selfishness in marriage. Uh, We can even use the scripture to justify that. Like, this is my right. I get what I want. No self-denial needed. Uh, And that's that's a wrong narrative of sexuality. And so whether or not you're having sex, you think about it that way. Uh, The other narrative that, that we already talked about a little bit is the purity narrative, which is more of this legalistic thinking about all that matters is whether or not I'm following the rules. And if I haven't followed the sexual rules, God is forever angry with me. I'll never get out from under the shame. Um, and a lot of people are driven by that narrative. And that's not a whole narrative either. Uh, and so a big piece of this is helping people get the true biblical narrative. How we think about sexuality is really important. Uh, we can't fix our sex lives if we're thinking about it wrong. That's so good. There's the porn narrative or the popular culture narrative. Then there's the purity culture narrative. If you had to sum it all up, maybe in a a children's book or something, (laughs) how would you tell that story of God's narrative for sexuality? Wow. I I would tell the story that everything God created reveals something about himself. And so we can look at a tree and learn something about God. And when we look at the Bible, we see that The Bible uses trees as an example of what it is to be rooted in God and nourished by water and and bear fruit and and have leaves and season. And and so that's one example. We can look at sheep. You know, God created sheep and wolves to teach us something about 
of spiritual truth about our relationship with him. God created a mother and father to teach us something about how God is our father. He's the perfect parent. Uh, But God also created our sexuality to reveal something about himself. And God made us sexual people to reveal that God is a God who loves with covenant love. Uh, And so really unpacking the biblical narrative is helping people understand the concept of covenant and how it's different from other kinds of love and why sexuality and covenant always go together. That concept of covenant is so important. It is. Yeah. What is a covenant? A covenant is a relationship that is based on a promise. So it's not based on, uh, I promise to to be with you as long as you're meeting my needs or as long as we feel in love or as long as we can endure each other. (laughs) Uh, It's the kind of love that God says he has for us where he says, uh, I will be your God and you will be my people. And, uh, you know, scripture says nothing can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus. And Jesus said to his people, I will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, And so even though the relationship between God and people change because of boundaries and because of our behavior, his love never changes. It's steadfast. And so when God created marriage, he created this human relationship that is based on the choice to love with character, to to love with my commitment. Uh, And the feelings come and go and the fun comes and goes and uh, the sexual excitement can come and go. But the marriage is based on that covenant promise and sex is the celebration of the covenant promise. That's so good. And in this narrative, God is the covenant maker. Yes. Who loves us based on a promise. And he gives us these two ways that we can express that with our sexuality. A single people just committed to our covenant with him and and living in alignment with that. And in marriage, where the relationship and the sexual relationship in marriage is meant to mirror that covenant. Right. Yeah. So absolutely. So for all of us, our sexuality speaks of the fact that we were made for covenant with God, that we were made for intimacy. We were made for a relationship with a promise attached. Uh, and, and so all of us, like 1 Corinthians 6 says that if you are in Christ, you know, honor God with your body sexually, because you have this covenant with God, your body now belongs to him. Uh, and so don't defile it. And then right after 1 Corinthians 6, Paul goes into applying this to marriage and what that means in marriage. And then he goes to applying it to singles and how it's actually better if you can to be single and to be fully engaged in the covenant work of God uh, and skip the metaphor of marriage because marriage is a metaphor. Uh, It's an earthly echo of our covenant with God. Yeah, which is really backwards of the way that we teach it in the church. We teach marriage is the end goal. You know, your singleness is a preparation for marriage, but in essence, marriage is a preparation for being married to Christ. Wow, that's true. And your singles ministry in a church is kind of like a conveyor belt for marriage. Yeah, yeah. I heard one person say, when you look at the scripture, marriage is really the temporary state, singleness is the permanent state. Uh, When we die, we're single. Uh, When we go to heaven, there's no marriage in heaven apart from our marriage to the Lord. Uh, And so 
we have to see marriage and sexuality as a very holy, sacred, earthly gift that points to something even more important and more eternal. It strikes me that this is the only story that elevates sexuality to such a great height. Yeah, yeah. Because in purity culture, sex is, maybe it's necessary to be happy, but it's still something gross and it's separate from our spirituality. And in porn, it's casual, it's whatever. It's not much to think about or feel bad about. Only this story, only this narrative holds it up with beauty and power. It, that is very true, and but it also doesn't idolize mm, marriage and yeah. sexuality. And the other two idolize marriage and sexuality. So although it's, it's a highly valuing both marriage and sexuality, it's valuing it because of what it represents and symbolizes, not because it's an end in and of itself. So it can be a gift without being God. Right. Yeah. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote something to the effect of, Love ceases to be a demon only when it ceases to be a God. Mm. And I think that's very true with our sexuality. It becomes a demon as soon as we put it in the place of that will make me happy. That will make me fulfilled. Uh, And any good gift taken out of its context becomes a curse to us. And when we live in alignment with that story and, and we're being discipled by Jesus to embrace our sexuality as a good gift, with healthy boundaries, it can be kind of hard to imagine, okay, what what would that look like for me? Um, I've heard you call it sexual wholeness. Mm-hmm. So when we're living that way, we experience wholeness. What does that look like in real life? Yeah, it's a good question. First of all, the word I really like is integrity, sexual integrity, because I think it's important to recognize that we're all on a journey towards integrity. Um, None of us do this perfectly. And this is what I think was so damaging about the purity culture is it's a black or white, all or nothing binary. You're either pure or impure. And the scripture says, first of all, we're all impure apart from Christ. Sin is not just what we do. It's our heart being bent in rebellion to God. Uh, But then we become pure through the righteousness of Christ. And then we're constantly on this journey of what does it look like then for my life to be totally transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the the presence of Jesus in my life. And so I want to set that context because any story I tell is going to be a story of journey of even Paul saying, I'm groaning, all of creation is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. Uh, And so a couple of stories would be, for example, um, maybe a couple I know where um, the wife had a lot of sexual trauma growing up and the husband comes into marriage with the high expectations for sexuality, has some uh, issues with pornography. They try to make sex work in their marriage and it's a disaster. It's triggering for her. She's frustrated. He's frustrated. Um, she feels objectified. And so it's a mess. And so what does it look like now for this couple to work towards sexual integrity The first thing it requires is being honest. And again, saying we need help. Like our experience of sexuality has been so warped by evil for both of us that we don't even know what this is supposed to look like. Uh, And so asking God for help, uh, reaching out to wise counsel and to resources to help reframe what is this even supposed to be, but then doing the hard work of 
confession and repentance and of patience and healing you know, for that woman uh, to heal sexually from her wounds may mean that they actually have to go through a period of abstinence in their marriage uh, so that they can learn what safe touch is. And the same for that guy. Uh, he may be having sex with his wife, but he's still thinking about pornographic images. That's not integrity. And so how do we retrain our sexual response even to respond to one another instead of responding to old images or messages? And so a couple like that can be on a journey of healing and recovery for a decade uh, and start to experience, wow, like it's not just sexual activity that matters, it's sexual intimacy, sharing the journey, uh, learning to love as Christ loves us with mercy and forgiveness and patience and self-denial. Uh, learning to enjoy each other uh, when sex has represented so much brokenness. Uh, so that might be an example, but I just have really learned that we all have sexual brokenness and that we're, we all need to be on that journey of maturity. None of us have arrived. Um, you know, God needs to do re redeeming work in each of our lives. And I hear you saying that it's probably going to take longer than we think. Discipleship always does. <laughs> Are you ever are you ever done being discipled? No, I keep thinking that maybe I am and then I'm not. <laughs> no, we're not. It's we're not. But that doesn't mean you can't stop and celebrate along the way and say, wow, look, look how far we've come. You know, look what God has done just by us being honest with each other and reaching out for help. And so there are great victories on the way, and there's great seasons of life and marriage uh, where you celebrate, even if it's not perfect, but we all have to be, uh, uh, I think just persevering on that journey. Mm -hmm. What are some ways that you encourage people to celebrate their singleness? If maybe they feel called to long-term singleness and marriage is just not part of the picture. Yeah, I think, first of all, get the right biblical perspective of singleness, because singles have not been valued by the traditional church culture, uh, and particularly the purity narrative. They're not valued. It's like you're a second class citizen. You know, how many pastors do you know who are single? Uh, and not just youth pastors who are waiting to get married, uh, but you, it's almost an assumption. You need to be married and have children to be mature. And that's the opposite of what Paul taught. And it's the opposite, actually, of what Jesus modeled for us. So I think it's really important to um, relook at the scripture in light of singleness uh, and that it's not weird. Actually, like I was thinking about this one day and just thought about like Jesus's friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who was this sibling trio, and they were Jesus's friends. And it seems like they all, these three siblings, lived together. There's no mention of spouses, uh, but Jesus wasn't trying to set them up with people. You know, he just valued them as fully mature adult, you know, people of God. And I think we need to change our paradigm of how we view singleness. Uh, and so that would be a first step. I think there are people doing that work and starting that conversation in the church. And I, I think second of all, you need family even as a single. And I think uh, a lot of the loneliness for singles is not about the absence of sex. It's about the absence of meaningful relationship and intimacy. You still need 
people who have your back. You need somewhere to go for holidays to celebrate and to feel welcome and feel part of something. You need you need interactions with brothers and sisters in Christ, young, old kids, uh, and so be part of family and be part of families around you. And uh, and then third of all, what do you uniquely have to offer the body of Christ because of your singleness? Mm-hmm. You have great flexibility at times uh, to say, "Hey, I could do that. I could I could serve here." Where you drew as a father of two little kids, like you're very limited in what you can say yes to. Um, so really considering, you know, how can I be a unique blessing and, um, you know, just servant of God where I am because singleness has its gifts attached to it. Yeah. So this is so empowering to have marriage and singleness, both giving gifts, both being valuable both being important in the body of Christ and for our sexuality to be a blessing rather than a curse. Julie, what is your favorite thing about sexual integrity? My favorite thing is that it has this tension of always calling me to grow and to be more mature and to receive discipline from the Lord and insight and wisdom. And I like that idea of being challenged and growing, but there's no condemnation attached. And so it's not the sense of, oh no, you messed up again, or really you don't know that yet. It's like, no, we're kids growing up and uh, we celebrate as you do with your kids, each stage. You're, you don't despise a four-year-old for not being able to run a mile. It, that's, that's the limitation. And God really does see us that way when our hearts are bent towards him, when we seek him, he knows how limited our frame is. And he continually calls us to grow in righteousness and to grow in character, but not with condemnation. It strikes me that that's exactly how Jesus related Mm -hmm. to people, especially in sexual brokenness. Yeah. And I think the other piece of that, that I love about it is it recognizes our wounds. Uh, Drew, so many of our our bad behaviors and our struggles come from wounds. And you and I both know of Jay Stringer's book, Unwanted, where he explains this really well. Um, but, But I think often when we have a struggle with pornography or with lust or with not enjoying sex and marriage, we want to fix that behavior instead of saying, God, would you, would you move into the wounds that are causing that behavior? Uh, And so, so much healing can take place again for us to become truly integrated people. Amen. And Julie, thank you so much for your work and your writing on doing this. I'm going to put a link to Rethinking Sexuality in the show notes. And also you have this awesome website of sexualdiscipleship.com. What's going on over there? Yeah, we actually have two websites. So one is authenticintimacy.com. And at that one, you can find like blogs, our podcast speaking events, marriage events. Uh, so that's kind of for the general public. At sexualdiscipleship.com, that's a unique website for Christian leaders who want some training and community around how do we do sexual discipleship. Uh, so we have both of those resources available, just depending on where you are in your journey and your needs. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us at Husband Material today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. And for everyone else out there, always remember you are God's beloved son and you, he is well-pleased. Mm-hmm.